their father, Mike Allison, one of the Bible Years ago, and uh, we've been uh, long-time friends, uh, family. They have a large family, and it's wonderful to see them all walking and following the way of the Lord. What, what is it? Eleven siblings? There's ten. There's eleven siblings all together, and there's eleven grandchildren. Going to be twelve in August. Oh my goodness! Wow, that's great. Yeah, all the grandkids. So uh, this was great pleasure that uh, uh, we were once again able to have that with us to share with Andrew Gomison. Would you welcome him? I think that's good, as long as it'll stay working. Yeah. It's tipping. Yes. All right. Well, I'm very grateful to be here today. Um, I I was very uh, glad that um, Brother Al and I were able to work out a date. It took some uh, negotiations, but fortunately they weren't tense. Al's a pretty laid-back guy. And uh, I'm very glad to be here. God has been doing some amazing things in my life and ministry. Um, I've now been uh, officially um, in my Speaking for Him ministry for almost uh, six years. It'll be six years in September. And uh, I've seen God do some really amazing things. This uh, trip, I actually got a chance to go to Nashville. Actually, that's where I've been staying, and uh, visit with Wally, who some of you know is a nationally syndicated uh, uh, radio host who is has a morning show that broadcasts out of Franklin, and uh, had a good time with him, recorded a an interview with him, which I'll be sharing on my ministry podcast uh, in a few weeks. I have a ministry podcast, which... Um, I post on my website every Friday, and then I try to blog on Mondays when I have a particular issue that is burning in my heart that I feel I need to share with people, with the primary focus being uh, to encourage Christians to live a Christian life, to not just be Christians in name only, because being a Christian has become increasingly popular in the United States. But being a, a Bible-believing uh, Christian who says that God's Word says what it means, and it means what it says, is becoming, it's becoming harder and harder to distinguish uh, the truth from the lie. And the problem with what the devil does is he doesn't have new material. So he recycles what he gets from God, and he infuses the truth with lies, and the problem is the half-truth is a whole lot. And so my goal is to share the truth unashamedly with boldness. And I'm reminded of uh, with, with the New Testament church with Peter and John when they were persecuted, when they were told, don't speak in the name of Jesus. 
They went back after being in prison and after being whipped and beaten. And their prayer was not, Lord, take away this persecution. Their prayer was, give us more boldness that we may share your word more effectively. And Paul had a similar prayer. He said, don't pray that my persecution be taken away. Rather, pray that I would have more boldness. And why is it that we share the truth? We share the truth because we know the terror of God to sinners. But knowing that terror, we also know the love of God, which took our punishment by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. And see, it's only as you understand the judgment of God that you can truly understand what God's love is all about. And the biggest problem in the church today is that we're telling half the truth. God is love. But we also hear that He can't stand sin. That He is light. That in Him is no darkness at all. So, uh, today, we'll open in a word of prayer and then I want to share with you some truths out of the book of Psalms, chapter 25. And I was not even thinking about the possibility of the decision that came down this weekend from the Supreme Court when I wrote this, or when I prepared this sermon, but I think it's applicable and I think it's an example of God preparing us ahead of time for what is going to happen. Praise Him that He doesn't leave us in the dark. Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to You and we thank You for being here. We thank You that You said where two or three are gathered in Your name, there are You in the midst. And we invite You here in a special way to come in and to fellowship with us and to show us Your truth from Your Word. Help it to be unhindered by human imperfection. Help it to go forth and help it to accomplish that which you have called for it to. We trust your promises that it will do so. And we thank you for always being present to answer our prayers. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I've titled um, today's message... God's unending presence in troubled times. God's unending presence in troubled times. If you're taking notes, uh, the first section here, the first seven verses, is the psalmist crying out to God. So the first point is to cry out to God. You need God to intercede for you in troubled times? Cry out to Him. <clears throat> Here are the first seven verses of Psalm 25. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without a cause. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindness, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to 
thy mercy. Remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. And there's a lot in here, but let's just look at a couple of things. First of all, upon who is the psalmist calling? He's calling to the Lord because there's no one else to call upon. In this culture in which we live, we have get-rich-quick schemes, we have um, all kinds of uh, doctors, and I'm not, I'm not saying doctors are bad, doctors are obviously needed in certain ways, but especially when you get into the psychology and the psychiatry, there's often a push away from the things of the Word of God. And even some that are known as Christians can be guilty of using modern methods and shoving Scripture in when it's convenient. So, he's calling on to God. And he says, O my God, I trust in Thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. And there are times, such as a couple days ago, when it seems that our enemies are triumphing over us. They seem to be having victory. But we know that it's temporary. Because one day, Jesus is going to come and He's going to set things right again. You know, Jesus offers to His followers peace but he also says in another place I've come not to bring peace but a sword and one day that sword will be unsheathed and the battle of the ages will take place and the power of the devil will be done away with forever and he will not lift up the sword in vain it will do what it's supposed to do Yes, He is love. The Bible says that He's not willing that any should perish. But if you choose sin, if you choose to turn your back on God, then you will send yourself to hell. I used to think, well, God sends people to hell because they deserve it. But as I've grown up and, and thought about it more, I realized God doesn't really send anyone to hell. And He doesn't want anyone to go there because He sent His Son to die on the cross so we didn't have to. But when we choose to go against Him and choose not to allow Him to be who He is, we are in effect saying, that's where we want to go. And it says, Yea, let them... Let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. And there's coming a day when those people will be ashamed. Because every person, even the most ardent atheist who claims there is no God, will one day bow before Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess doesn't leave anybody off the list. Now because I am redeemed, I'm looking forward to that day. 
I always think about that passage in the context of I, I'm one of the, especially, at least physically speaking, I'm one of the least flexible people that I know of. My joints don't work the way other people's joints do. Uh, it's easy um, for them to hurt. Some days are more painful than others. But I know that the time is coming when I will get a new body. And one of the first things I'll do in that new body is to kneel before the Lord Jesus Christ and confess Him as Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I'm very excited about that. Then the psalmist says, Show me Thy ways, O Lord. O teach me Thy paths. Lead me in Thy truth and teach me. For Thou art the God of my salvation. On Thee do I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindness, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. <laughs> According to thy mercy, remember thou me, for thy goodness sake, O Lord. I just want, I just want you to look at this and to think about how many times he says thy in this passage. Why? Because the only hope he has is in the character of God. He talks about God's truth, thy truth. And then he, and then he says, you are the God of my salvation. And then he says, remember your tender mercies, your loving kindness. For they have always been, essentially is what he's saying. And then he says, remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. And again, he goes back to the character of God, according to thy mercy. And if that wasn't enough, he says, for thy goodness sake. You see, a lot of people who are not believers make the mistake of thinking that we as Christians think we have it all together, that we never make mistakes, that we think we're better than they are. But the reality is that I'm just a beggar telling other beggars where I found bread. There's an a, a, a exchange between Jesus and a Phoenician woman that has been one of my dad's favorite passages for a long time, and it's become one of mine because of that. And it talks about this woman who was not a Jew. And she approached Jesus to heal her daughter, and he said, I'm come only to the lost sheep of Israel. And she said, But well, Lord, even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And then Jesus commended her faith, and healed her daughter. And I'm grateful for the crumbs that God has given us. He sent Paul as an apostle to the Gentiles so that they would realize that they were included, that the gospel has come to all men, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, that it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes. So this whole crying out that the psalmist does, he, it wouldn't be possible 
if he didn't get himself out of the way. He doesn't say, God, look how great I am, so you have to help me. Rather, he says, remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. So, not only is he, is he not saying, I'm perfect, he's saying, I'm anything but perfect, but because of who you are, pardon me and help me. That's what he's saying. And only if we know that we need help can we ever hope to get help. So the question that we all have to answer is, are we willing to pray a prayer like this? Are we willing to say, I need help. God, please help me. And another thing I want to mention before moving on to our next point is... Think about this. The God who never forgets a promise that He gave us. He said, I am not a man that I should change my mind. The God who never forgets a promise that He gave us chooses to forget our sin. Chooses to forget our sin. What a blessing that is. If someone could look up Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, and if you get it, read it, so that we can look at that by way of cross-reference, I would appreciate it. Go ahead. Alright, so this is just kind of piggybacking on what the psalmist has said. That through all of this, God is working out a plan. And I want to uh, share with you this story that I found. Um, this is from Today in the Word, from October of 1991. And it says, John Patton was a missionary in New Hybrides Islands. One night, hostile natives surrounded the mission statement intent on burning out the Pattons and killing them. Patton and his wife prayed during the Terrafield night that God would deliver them. When daylight came, they were amazed to see their attackers leave. A year later, the chief of the tribe was converted to Christ. Remembering what had happened, Patton asked the chief what had kept him from burning down the house and killing them. The chief replied in surprise, Who were all those men with you there? Patton knew no man was present, but the chief said he was afraid to attack because he had seen hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords circling the mission station. And I often think about the fact that we may not even be aware of the protection that God is affording us with angel armies. There's a story in the Bible about that with uh, Elijah, where his servant is upset and uh, worried that they're going to be attacked, and the prophet prays and asks God to open his eyes, and he sees the armies of the Lord surrounding them. 
I believe that the armies of the Lord are surrounding us. I've been through many times in my life when I thought that my life would be over. I was ready to go, but I really thought it would be the end. And God has delivered me each time, which has shown me not that I will never die, but that until God's plan is worked out fully in my life, I will be here, and I will be invincible to whatever the devil tries to throw my way. And that's not because of how great I am, it's because we serve a great God. And then the second point that I want to talk about, He will help those who are humble. We kind of touched on this in the first point, how the psalmist is talking about everything that God has done, everything that God is. But let's look at the next few verses, verses 8 to 15. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he will teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Again, we start this section where we started the last section, focusing on the character of God. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. It says in one of Peter's epistles, it says that Jesus lived a human life, but there was no deceit in him or guile in his mouth. And it says that he left an example that we should follow in his steps. If you want to live a godly life, you have to have godly people in your life to walk with you, to be a part of your life, to push you to further your Christian walk. One of the most simple verses is found in one of Paul's epistles when he says, evil company corrupts good manners. And we look at that and we say, it's so plain Sometimes we wonder why something that plain is in the Bible because we think of the Bible as confusing and hard to understand and that, that it has to mean something other than it says. But as my dad often tells me, and I know it wasn't original with him, if the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense. And also, my dad says that the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So if you read something in the Bible, and you're wondering what it means, first look at the context of the chapter, and then look at other passages where similar topics are mentioned, and that will help you to get a full picture of what God means when He says something. So if a sinner wants to change and has been uh, given grace from the Lord to see their need, 
then the Lord will show them. Then it says, the meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. You probably heard the saying, meekness is not weakness. A lot of times people think that it is. Our Lord Jesus Christ was not weak. He created the whole world, even the people that nailed him to the cross. I was thinking about that not too long ago, and I've thought about it over and over since, that the people that nailed him to the cross He created them. He planned for their time in history. And that makes his cry on the cross all the more poignant when he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Once again, because of the name of the Lord, pardon me. Not because of how great I am. Not because I deserve it. Not because I'm not as bad as the next guy. Because of the name of the Lord, pardon me. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him, and He will show them His covenant. Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for He will pluck my feet out of the net. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is our guide and will guide us into all truth. People that are not indwelled by the Holy Spirit look at the Scriptures. They look specifically at the Scriptures that that deal with with marriage and things of that nature, and they try to reason God's holy moral standard out of those passages. And say, well, it didn't really mean what it said. But isn't that exactly what the devil did in the Garden of Eden? He said, has God not said that you could eat of every tree in the Garden of Eden? And Eve said, yes. He said we could eat every tree except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said that when we eat it, we'll die. And the devil gave this lie. He said, you will not surely die. And in fact, you will be like God. They didn't physically die that day, but they started the cycle of physical death. And more importantly than that, they separated themselves from this fellowship they had with God where Adam would walk with God in the cool of the day. And instead of taking responsibility for his wife and his actions, he says, the woman that you gave me, she gave it to me and I did eat. And then the woman, instead of taking responsibility for her own actions, she says, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. And now we have all kinds of excuses why sin is appropriate. One of the favorite, 
lines by the world in dealing with these, this marriage issue is everyone's a sinner. It's true. But that means everyone needs a Savior. I would not be able to be here today if it wasn't for the fact that I have a Savior. Could someone look at uh, John chapter 15, verse 15? If you find that, please read it. John 15, 15. Again, Jesus is calling us friends. We're not just servants of the Most High God. We are His friends. We can say with Abraham, I am a friend of God. God forecasted for us in His Word that there would be coming a day when people would have itching ears, when they would want to make uh, a shipwreck of whatever faith they had, when they would want to exchange the truth of God for a lie. We talked about that earlier. So if you read your Bible, none of this is surprising. God said it would happen. God tells us that, or Jesus told us that if the world hates you, marvel not because it hated me first. And I, I'll be honest with you right here. I'm scared in a physical sense to die for my faith. But I'm just praying that if the time comes when the need arises that I will die for my faith, that God will give me the extra grace to be able to handle it. Because I do not want to compromise the gospel of Jesus Christ. The true gospel is what has power. If you're going to water down the gospel and then give people what they want to hear, that's like seeing your neighbor's house on fire and saying nothing about it because it would be awkward. Nobody wants to hear that their house is on fire. So maybe I won't just talk about their house and they'll feel better. Until they turn around and their house is in rubble. And that's where we are as a society today. Thinking about this issue of humility and all that God gives us and how He calls us His friends. I want to share this little story about Hudson Taylor. It says, Hudson Taylor was scheduled to speak at a large Presbyterian church in Melbourne, Australia. The moderator of the service introduced the missionary in eloquent and glowing terms. He told the large congregation all that Taylor had accomplished in China and then presented him as our illustrious guests. Taylor stood quietly for a moment and then opened his message by saying, Dear friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. That really spoke to me. I've shared it before. But it's a good reminder that we are all Servants of Jesus Christ. Paul mentions in his epistles at least once, if not twice, that if anybody 
had, a, had an opportunity to boast, it would be him. Because he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was like the best of the best as far as the world was concerned. But he says, I'm giving it all up. I'm putting it all on the dung heap that I might win Christ. Point three is he will walk with you and work out his will. An interesting thing about this psalm is you you think it's heading toward this joyful crescendo. And there's joy in it. But it doesn't have the happy ending that you might think. Because he says in verses 16 onward to 22, Turn thee unto me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Oh, bring thou me out of my distresses. Look upon mine affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with a cruel hatred. Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. So in in this passage, it's kind of pointing out the fact that just because you're following God, just because you're doing His will, doesn't mean things are always going to work out the greatest. You know, when I trusted Jesus Christ as a young man of five years old, and I woke up the next day, I was still in the wheelchair. I still had to deal with the daily realities of having cerebral palsy. I still had to deal with the realities of people constantly thinking that I couldn't do as much as other people. I still had to deal with the devil whispering in my ear that I was useless. When I was 13 years old, I wanted to kill myself because I felt useless. Because my baby brother, who had been healthy up to that point, died after taking a nap. And I was like, if if God's going to take him and leave me here and I'm useless, what's the point of living? I just want to die. I want to go to heaven now. I was very bitter. And for the next year, God worked with me. He held on to me tight. He cried with me. And at the end of that time, He showed me. I could heal you, but I don't need to heal you for me to use you. I need you to get out of my way. I need you to let me work in you to will and to do of my good pleasure. And it was when I started to do that, that God has opened up doors that I never imagined would be open. And I still struggle a little bit. I mean, a few years ago, I thought, well, as soon as I surrender to ministry and I start speaking for Him, the doors are going to fly open. I'm going to have more work than I know what to do with. I'm going to find someone to walk alongside me uh, in this ministry, a helpmeet. We're going to raise a family to the glory of God. Everything's going to work out exactly this way because I'm doing what God wants. And some of this stuff, I'm still waiting for God to do. But I'm encouraged because God always keeps His promises. He promised Abraham a son when he was about 75. And it was about 20-something years later that He finally gave him his son. And Abraham tried to go his own way, tried to do his own thing, and God said, No. Isaac, who will come from you and Sarah, 
will be your heir. And we know that Isaac had some of the weaknesses that his father did. Why? Because sin, like a poison, is passed on from generation to generation. And the only hope is the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the only hope. We can put our hope in money. We can put our hope in fame. We can put our hope in the weather, although I don't recommend it. Put our hope in all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, the only thing that will be true is the Word of God. Isaiah said it this way, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God will last forever. I've had people tell me, if you had enough faith, you could walk out of here. You could get out of your chair and you could walk away. And I say to them, God never promised me that I would get out of my trial. He only promised to walk with me through it. Paul asked God to remove a thorn in the flesh from him. Three times. God's answer was no. For my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in your weaknesses. And Paul says, Most gladly, therefore, will I uh, rejoice in my infirmities. He wasn't talking about getting rid of his infirmities because he was rejoicing. He says, I'm going to rejoice in my infirmities because it's when I am dealing with these infirmities and God is working through me that his power is most clearly shown. I could be healed. God could heal me. And the minute he thinks that my wheelchair is not necessary for my ministry, he will do so. But until that time comes, I am charged to be faithful to the calling which He has given me. Not merely serving God for what He gives me, but for who He is. We can look at very quickly 2 Corinthians 4, 8-10. Paul talking a little bit more about the issue of suffering, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 10. If somebody has that, they can just go ahead and read it. Paul went through a lot for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He went through excruciating physical torture. He was stoned. He was uh, maligned at every turn. And yet he never gave up. He didn't say, well, because I'm being tortured, God must not be true. You know, he, he could have edited so to speak, this passage out of his epistle because he could have said, you know, everything's hunky-dory when you're with Jesus. But he didn't. 
And Peter said it this way. He said, Brethren, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that is upon you. And I don't know why we as Christians have this idea that suffering, at least some of us, have this idea that God doesn't want us to suffer when His own Son, the perfect Son of God, suffered. So why should we expect any less? He suffered. He had God turn His back on Him and thus cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did He do that? He did that so that he would never have to say that to us. So that we would never have to say that to him. So that he could instead say to us, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Oswald Chambers said this, Faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. Faith means whether I am visibly delivered or not, I will stick to my belief that God is love. There are some things only to be learned in a fiery furnace. What an amazing God we serve. I think of the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stood before Nebuchadnezzar. They said, our God is able to deliver us. But even if he does not, we will not bow before the statue you have set up. And the result of that was... They got thrown into the fiery furnace. The soldiers that carried them there were killed. But Nebuchadnezzar looked into that furnace. And even though they'd only cast three men into the fire, he saw a fourth man. And the scripture seems to indicate that that was a pre-incarnate vision of our Lord Jesus Christ. Interceding for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and it said that not, their hair was not singed and their clothes did not smell like smoke. That is an amazing verse. I, my brothers, sometimes will burn papers in our backyard and they'll come in and you can tell what they've been doing because you can smell the smoke. And my dad said when I was growing up, the only way you should be smoking if you're, is if you're on fire. So... I, I know that the options are minimal. That the only way they would smell like that is because they are burning papers in their backyard. And yet these people, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, went into a furnace that was so hot that the people that threw them there died and they came out unscathed. It wasn't like they had little scars. They had none. And the reality is that if God has a plan for you, He will work it out. No matter what it takes. And He's not going to leave you. We know from tradition that most of the apostles died for their faith in Jesus. We know that Peter, for instance, was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified the way his Lord was. And Jesus actually predicts Peter's crucifixion in the Gospel of John when he says, one day people will take you where you don't want to, go, want to go and they'll stretch forth your hands and you'll die for me. And Peter being his typical self says, but what about John? And he says, 
What I have to do with John does not concern you. Just be focused on what I have to do with you. So my question to you as we close is what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? Whatever you're going through, He can help you. And it may be a total physical deliverance or it may be a helping hand through the trial. But either way, you'll be better off for having trusted Jesus. Paul said, the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. I'm going to be there. And I want you all to be there. I want you all to know the peace that passes all understanding. You know, as that Supreme Court decision came down a couple days ago, there was a certain degree of panic, it seemed, from people on social media. I was saddened, but I wasn't panicked because I knew it was coming, and I know that I know that I know that God has a plan and he's working it out and even now he's showing mercy so that people can come to him so they can escape the wrath to come. Some people say that hell is not a real place. Well then why did Jesus spend more time talking about hell than he did about anything else. I'm here to tell you, hell is a real place. And you may end up there if you choose to go your own way, but you don't have to. Because Jesus gave his life so that we could live. And now, it's up to us to do that. It's up to us to go to our corners of the world and shine a light and be different and have someone say, why is that person different? Why do they approach things this way? And then when that why comes, you can say it's because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And the thing that He has done for me, He can do for you. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows fall? Why should my heart grow weary and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is He. His eye is on 
I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Let not your heart be troubled. His tender words I hear, and resting on his promise, I lose my doubts and fears. <clears throat> For by the path he leadeth, but one step I may see. <clears throat> his eyes are the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eyes are the and I know he watches me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your eye is on this barrow. We thank you that you know us, that you hear us, that you love us. And we pray that we would show you our gratitude, that this would never grow old, that it would be something that would well up inside us to the point where we can't help but share it, because it's the best news of all. Lord, I pray that if anyone here has not come to know you in a personal way, that they would do so today, that they would not delay, for today is the day of salvation. And for those who know you, Lord, I pray that they would be encouraged, that they would know that they can call upon you, that you will be there, that you will hear them, and that you will answer them. We praise you and thank you for all of your wonderful blessings. And we ask you to bless this day going forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Andrew, so much for sharing the word this morning. And, uh, do you know the Lord is saying you this morning? I hope and trust that you do. But uh, furthermore, I do uh, encourage walking in the south. We are uh, we're approaching some